Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 36. Exodus 36. I'm sorry, Exodus 35, uh, beginning in verse 30. And then we're going to go over to Romans 12. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called us. I'm sorry. See, the Lord has called by name Bezel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God. He's filled him with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood for work of every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oliab, the son of Ashamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skill designer. We're going to end the reading there this morning of the Old Testament. Just go on, know in mind that it's the Lord who gives the skills and the gifts. This is an outpouring of the Lord, but it's still in principle. It's he who gives us gifts and talents. Now over to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through uh, verse 8. So beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and what's acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than you ought to think of yourself, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion with our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, so much. I thank you for your precious word. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless us, that you would be with us, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, and that you would illuminate our hearts, give us wisdom and insight, help us to be engaged thoroughly with your precious word, Lord God. I pray that you would be with me to bring forth clearly your word, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified, and that we might be strengthened and edified through your precious word. And we do this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right.
As we've gone through Romans, it's deeply theological, and you know that, and it's wonderful throughout. And I want to make a real hard distinction, hard, fast distinction between theology and practical outworking, but it's really, really clear. And Paul does this in his other letters as well, his other epistles, like with Colossians, Ephesians. On the front end, he's very heavy with the theological teaching, who Christ is, our need for Christ, our sin, so on and so forth. And then the practical outworking of being in Christ. What's it mean? What's it look like to be a Christian? If you say you love Jesus then what does your life look like? What's he expect it to look like? And that's what Paul does with Romans as well. Again, early on, especially uh, through the first 10 or 11 chapters, it's deeply theological, but now it's intensely practical. Okay, this is this is who you were in your sin. Now you're saved. Now this is what your life is to look like as a Christian. And if it doesn't match up, then you have to ask yourself some serious questions. Like, number one, am I truly a Christian? Because I can say I'm a Christian all day long, but if I'm not living for Jesus Christ from my heart, not to earn or merit salvation, but because I've been granted salvation, then I need to examine that. So this, these things that we're talking about, like we talked about last week, the demands of the gospel, the living sacrifice, the not being conformed to this world, being transformed, they're not just options for us as Christians. This is who we are, and we need to live that out. That needs to show up in our lives. That's how he uses us. That's how we make a difference in this world. That's how we're light, and that's how that comes through. So we did talk about that last week, and it was... Really geared towards the person as, as, you know, in a personal way. You're saved. So you are not to live according to the course of this world. You're a living sacrifice. We talked about that and, and being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And now in this next section, Paul talks about the corporate implications, the privilege that we have and the duty that we have towards one another, especially as Christians to all people generally, but especially towards one another. What he's talking about here from verses 3 to 8 is what I owe you as a believer in Jesus Christ, what you owe me as believers in Christ, what we owe each other. And that's nothing less than yourself, than your gifts and your talents to the building up of the church. And that's what we do to, to whatever, where the Lord has gifted us. Paul's saying, look, you need to, you need to bring that forth. That's part of who you are, right? So that's what he's talking about to today. Christianity it's not a private religion, although we try to make it a private religion. Oh, it's between me and God. We don't talk about religion or politics when we get together. No, it's just me. It's not that. It's not that at all. If you know the script, it's, it's nothing like private religion. It's a public religion. It's out there. It's a corporate religion. And we're to bring the name of Christ to the nations, which we have failed to do so long in our, in our nation. We just kind of kept it inside or took it for granted. But it's not a private religion. It's not merely personal. God has designed us for community, hasn't he? To be together to have that fellowship, to have that oneness. That's why we meet corporately. That's why we kind of discourage the live stream. We know that you have to at times if you're not feeling well or you're at a distance, but we want you to be here because you need to be here. And you know that it makes a difference because those of you that have live streamed for a while and then you come here said it makes a big difference to be together, to be in one another's presence as we're meant to be in Christ. He designed us for that. You know that? He designed us for community. He designed us for fellowship. He designed us for encouragement so to be to, so we can encourage one another, so we can hold one another accountable to the standards of scripture. If we're left on our own and nobody is there to hold us in check and say, hey, wait a minute, you're going astray here. Wait a minute, you need to think about this. You know, there's accountability. 
There's a covenantal dimension to all this. We are bound to one another. We're tied to one another through our calling in Jesus Christ. And he called us out of darkness into light through our regeneration, that we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and our sanctification through the Spirit. We do have very real spiritual obligations to one another. And I want you to feel that this morning. I really do. I do want you to be convicted if you're holding everything in and, and you're kind of keeping everything to yourself and keeping your gifts to yourself, that's not how we build community in this way. We have an obligation to, to one another. This is intensely practical. It's not meant to guilt you, but it's meant to encourage you, man, to use the gifts that God has given you to the building up of the church and his glory and to get beyond yourself in some ways, beyond your own insecurities or even your own selfishness, but to say, I'm going to use these gifts that the Lord's given me for his glory and for his people's good. So that's what we need to do. Look at the spirit that we're to have. It's, it's, and it's going to come down to a matter of you choosing, you know, you're going to have to choose. I have these gifts that God's given to me, right? And I know I have an obligation to, to his people to use them. But ultimately, you are going to decide. We do have that free will to say, am I going to use these gifts that God has given me in particular? And I want to encourage you to do that. Again, not laying guilt trips, but really encouragement in that way. That's who we are. It's part of our spirit. Look what Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35. This is a spirit. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, we were always to love one another. What's the newness about this commandment? Just as I have loved you, you were to love one another. We are to love one another with the love of Christ Jesus. Not just the love that we muster up or love that what we think love is, but with his love and the way that he loves us. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How do we express that love for one another? So much of that is in our fellowship. So much of that is in exercising our gifts on behalf of one another in the Lord. Matthew 23, 11 says this, the greatest among you shall be your servant. You see what your attitude needs to be? We need to think of, we're servants of one another. We serve each other in the Lord. That should be our attitude. In Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke 17. We're still talking about the attitude that we're to have as Christians. Servant-driven attitudes, willing to use our gifts and talents, not being lazy with them, not keeping them under under a cover, but bringing them to light. So Luke 17, 7 through 10. I want you to see this. These are the unworthy, It's the caption's unworthy servants. Beginning in verse 7, he says this, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come from the field, after he's worked all day long, and he comes, he comes at once, I'm sorry, come at once and recline to the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded to do? So do you understand? He has a servant. The servant's out in the field all day tending the sheep. Then he comes in and he gets things ready in the indoor, in the in-house, getting dinner ready, going in that way. That's what the servant's doing. And then he finally eats. And then verse 10, he says, so you also, when you have done all that you've been commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Please have that kind of mentality in yourself. Please have that kind of uh, think of yourself in that way. I'm only doing my duty. I'm not doing anything special to be commended. I'm just doing what I'm called to do as a Christian. When I'm serving you and when I'm loving you and when I'm giving myself to you. That's it. First Corinthians 10.24 tells us this. 
let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So that puts our neighbor before us, okay? It's God, neighbor, us. And then especially Philippians 2, 3, and 4, write this one down, have this one on your heart. This is just the spirit. Before we get, in, we get into the giftedness and talents, check this out. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. That is the attitude. You are more significant than I am. Okay, Your needs are more important to me than my own needs. This should be our spirit in that way. Let each one of you look not only on his own interests, of course we look on our own interests, but also the interests of others. You understand? As you use your particular gifts, this needs to be your spirit, your mindset, your intention. But you know what? It's very difficult. That's the rub. Again, we always run into the rub, don't we? It'd be nice if we had that spirit. It'd be so great if we thought that way all the time, that I do love you more than I love myself. And I am going to give myself completely to you, my gifts and my talents to build you up in faith. That's wonderful. That's the ideal. But what gets in the way? (laughs) Our sin, ourselves, our, yeah, uh, uh, yes, it does. Right? The reason is, and there are several reasons, I'll give three in this way, not just our, our sinful nature, we tend to be selfish in that way, but one of the general reasons is that we live in affluence as Western Christians. We really do. We just have that, we have, well, there's affluence. You go to other parts of the world and you see Christians that don't have anything, but they're sharing their nothing with somebody else. It's even half of what they have or a portion of what they have, which is nothing, but they'll give it to other Christians to help them along in their way. We're not, we're, we're not, we don't even have to think like that in Western Christianity because we, there's, there's affluence. We're used to being served as a matter of fact, aren't we? We are used to being served. We're takers, and I mean this generally, not not completely, but we're just 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 the way it is. And in many ways, it's a blessing because God has blessed us, and we've been relatively free and safe to, to have. And but in another way, it's hard because we do get used to this, and we lose the biblical ethic, we lose the biblical mindset of what Paul's talking about right here in Romans twelve, because we're affluent, right? Oftentimes, when you're thinking about a church attending a church, you go into it thinking, well, what can this church give me? What do I need? What do I want? What do I expect from this church? With little thought or regard of giving yourself to the church. I mean, giving, at least not with some form of recognition. Well, if I do something, I want to be recognized, or reciprocation. If I do something, then you know, I expect something back in return. You know, I'm going to do you a, a favor now, and you know that day may never come, but I might ask you to do me a favor in return. That's not the attitude in the church. That works in the Godfather, but not in the church, right? That's not what that. Does I do it without reci- reciprocation or reward? I'm not in it for the reward. I'm not in it to, you know, to be hailed or whatever. We do it for Christ and we do it for others. It's not what's in it for me. It's not my influence. Well, I'm going to give in this area, give my gifts because I have influence. Or, or I'm not going to give because, well, I don't like this. Mm, that's not good. That's not how Paul is talking about here and that's not what Christ demands of us. So many people, they'll go into the church like that because we're takers, because we're just, we're used to having things our way. What's this church going to do for me? Instead of saying, how can I use my gifts for this church? What opportunities do I have to serve? How can I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ for using my gifts freely and fully? See, that's number one. There's a strong tendency, number two, it's related to number one. To individualism. We're in Americans, right? Where there's an independent, don't tread on me spirit. That's for sure. 
I've got mine, you know, you kind of go get your own. And you know, when, it, when it comes to that, very, and I'm including myself in this, so don't get me wrong. Few of us have the mindset that brothers and sisters had in Jesus Christ in other countries and other places, even at, even at the beginning. How many of you would think in this way, like Acts 2, 44 and 45? And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Now, this was very voluntary. It wasn't forced. It wasn't pushed. It wasn't, there's no Marxist here at all. It's not socialism. It's Christian charity. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them to the pro, and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Now, do you see that? Do you see the love and that? Now, would we even think like that today? You know what? I, I don't need that extra vacation. I, one vacation's enough. I could take the proceeds of that and give it to that family that is just really struggling to pay their bills. See, we don't think like that. And I'm not, again, I'm not guilting you. I'm just saying. Or it gives lie. Th- that's, that's the mentality. It's hard for us Westerners to think this way as Christians. And then number three, I think, um, and this is, these are general statements. The huge success of the mega church model, and that's a model. Huh? You could build a church in that way. You could attract people by doing certain things. It's a model. Um, the huge success of the mega church model is one of its greatest failures or deficiencies. A mega church could get a lot of people into the church. Obviously, we could see thousands and thousands of people in the mega church. They can get a lot of people into the church, but a great deficiency, a great failure. One of my greatest gripes against a mega church is that there's such little need, there's such little accountability for people in a church that size. There's little accountability, if any. You can go there, you can hide in plain sight. It's up to you, basically, to be involved. You, you could, you could, you could be there, but not be called upon to use your gifts and talents necessarily. Right? There's little need to use your particular gifts and talents. That, it takes away from everything Paul's saying here. And some of these humongous churches, and I'm not necessarily blaming the churches. Don't, don't get me wrong in that way. But they're just so big that they hire people. Like they'll hire professionals to come and do their music. I'm not saying that all mega churches do that, but many do. They hire. Events. Like we had our Christmas dinner the other night. If you're in a mega church, for the most part, you're going to have, it's going to be catered. <laughs> you're going to get it outside catered because it's just too big and it's too much for, for the church. So you lose Remember our party the other night? Do you, you see how good that was? Did you taste that food? Did you taste those desserts? Did you love that time? Did you see how wonderful that was? That was ostensibly for people that put all that together. That's your hospitality committee. That, those ha- that gift that they're using for you, and you loved it. And I know some of you said, was this even catered? No, it wasn't catered. It was made with love for you, and you loved it. And that's what this means. That's that fellowship. That's that depth in that way. Do you understand? You lose that. You can effectively hide in plain sight. You can be involved as you want to be or not involved. And that's why we kind of love it. It kind of goes along with the whole Americano, Western type of thinking. I want some, but don't really give me too much accountability. And don't don't press me to use my gifts. So that's kind of, you're intruding now on, on me in that way. That's not the biblical picture. That's not the biblical picture. When we do those kinds of things, we lose the deep intimacy that Christ wants us to have, that we have in Christ, the strong fellowship, the opportunity to tap into your own giftedness and to live sacrificially. That's what this is all about. So, Paul, See, this is intensely practical, isn't it? So it's just as convicting as the theological parts, but now it's practical because it lies, it comes to us. 
We're to use what we've been given by God to the building up of his body. We owe it to each other. We need each other. And Paul presses that fact here in these verses. He begins with the attitude that we have to have towards ourselves, towards our giftedness, towards the abilities that we've received from God. He talks a little bit about the diversity of gifts and the demand that we use them. That's actually implied here. So first of all, check this out. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, verse three, I say to everyone among you, Christian, that you should not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's so beautiful because right away he starts with the attitude. He starts with the mindset. He, he puts us in our place. He really does because we're to be humble with the gifts that we have. This is the attitude mindset regarding the use of your gifts and your talents effectively. He says, this, first of all, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Wow, does that go against today's culture and today's ethos and today's world? Everybody's supposed to think as highly as they can of themselves. You know, you're supposed to be who you want to be, do what you want to do. You know, it doesn't matter how little talent you have in a specific area. If you feel like doing it, well, then that's diversion, equity, and inclusion. You get to do it anyway, you know, but that's, that's, that's the world. They're not going to give thanks. They're going to be prideful. Those that are gifted and talented, you know, you're intimidated by them because they're gifted and they know that. Whether it's in their intellect, whether it's in their abilities in certain things, whether it's an athlete, you know, they, they kind of, they have that and they, they know that. But you are not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't do that. When he says that, he's countering the temptation that we have to do just that, to think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. It counters a temptation when you realize and you truly believe that every gift you have is from God. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, For who sees anything different in you? What you have, I'm sorry, what do you have that you didn't receive? That's a big question to ask. What do you have that you didn't receive from God? What gift, what talent, what is that? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Why do you boast and you say, like, okay, I've got it. See, that really humbles us. It's acknowledging whatever gifts, whatever talents that you possess are from God, and he gets all the praise in that. Understood? Not us. And that's, again, it's another big temptation, especially when you're tremendously gifted in a particular area. It's hard not to be. It's hard to be humble in that way. But see, when you have this mindset, you're not open to the charge of arrogance. You're not open to the charge of pride. I know where my gifts come from. I'm well aware. That humbles me even more. It makes me more appreciative and more grateful and therefore more willing to use those gifts because I know where they come from. I know myself. Huh, that's a scary thing. And we should all say that about ourselves. We know who we are inside. So when you have this mindset, when Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, he's really putting us down. Saying, those gifts that you have, they're from God. So when you have that mentality, that humility, it doesn't take the gift for granted. Oh, you know, So many people just arrogant about it. It doesn't do that. It doesn't become prideful or condescending. It doesn't look down on anybody. It doesn't become selfish. But it gives as it receives. If what I have is from him, then there's nothing special about me. Just like the servant, that everything that he did, when he was done doing his duty, 
That's, he wasn't to be commended. It wasn't like, okay, you did a wonderful thing. You did what you were supposed to do. Amen. Praise God. I'm just an unworthy servant. All I did was what I was supposed to do in that way. So that's what this is. Nothing special about me. So my focus is on him. My thankfulness towards him. My reliance is upon him. That's a beautiful model. And it helps when you see that in other Christians, doesn't it? Do you know Paul Washer, anybody? He has that kind of humility. He's a wonderful preacher, strong preacher, convicting preacher but so humble in so many ways. That encourages us, not just because of the way he preaches and teaches, amen to that, but his attitude towards that. It's not one, oh, yeah, I'm good and I know it. It's, I'm not. It's only God, which makes it so much better and encourages us so much more, doesn't it? It does, absolutely does. So he says that. And then he goes on to say, look, he says, don't think too highly of yourself, but with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God's assigned you. This is really good too. It's so good. It's All this is is an honest, true, correct, fair assessment of my gifts and level of giftedness. That's what this is. That's all that this is here. When he talks about sober judgment, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself either. This keeps us from that false humility because you might be good at something and somebody says, that was really good. And you, oh, no, not really. Oh, shucks. I'm not. No, you could say God has gifted me in that and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I know that he's given me certain gifts. I know my limitations regarding those gifts. And that's so key. Know your limitations regarding the gifts that he's given you. This keeps us from envious competition. Oh, that's a big deal. Jealousy, bitterness, pride, contempt, and insecurity. You know how how that works? Right? So much. You see somebody with a similar gift that you have or the same kind of gift that you have, but they might be a little bit better than you. Well, that, that tends to insecurity, you know, like, oh man, he's, be- especially among preachers, you should see this. There's such a, I'm going to say competition, but boy, when you see somebody who could preach so well, you're like, oh man, compared to him, uh, and then you could, you become envious, you become insecure, you become bit, and you do that with other gifts too. It could be singing, it could be uh, any, any talent that you have in that way. Wow, they're so good in that way. And then if you don't have this kind of mentality, this attitude of understanding, well, this is where God's give, gifted me, you're not going to appreciate their gifts. You're always going to be jealous, guarding your own gifts, or envious of the other person that they're more gifted. We can't do that as Christians. We don't want to be like Saul was with David. Saul loved and hated how good David was, didn't he? He loved David because he was so good, but he hated David because he was so good. And David was called to be the true king, so what did Saul do? He wanted. He got so angry and jealous and envious, and he wanted to take him down. Right? We mean, We need to be more like Paul, the Apostle Paul, Remember 1 Corinthians? The Corinthians were having issues in their church. They had divisions. They had, oh, well, I like Peter better. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. And so these factions were getting, and what did Paul say? Who's Peter? Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're nothing. We're just instruments in the hand. We're just preachers like that. See, Paul could have really been envious because Peter was, Peter was Peter. He was like the chief apostle. He was, you know, to, to, to the Jews. He was Peter. Apollos, if you know anything about Apollos, Acts 18.24 says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he was a very powerful preacher. He was a wonderful preacher. So Paul could have maybe been like, you know what, man, I, you know, I'm not much to look at. I, I know what I'm teaching, but I'm not, I'm envious of these. No, no. He says, who are these guys? We're all gifted by God. We're all being used by God. He's the one who brings the increase. Sober judgment. Gifted, yes. And I'm gifted this much. I do the best that I can with what he's given me, and I'm thankful for that. Then 
You can appreciate the level of giftedness in others without feeling threatened. That's a big deal in the church. Please, if you want to be able to build people up. If they're better than you, it's something that you do. Let them have the stage. If God is raising them up, who are we to stand in the way? A lot of you know when time comes for like deep, serious prayer, if something's happening, who do we call on to pray usually in this church? Elder Luke. Why? He's gifted. And that, and that particular, gifted in many areas, but that's one of the areas where he's gifted in. So if we're in a bind, if we're in a, a need in that way, say, Luke, you pray. Who am I to stand in the way of that? Aaron, in other ways. We have that. We, we can't be in competition. We need to love the other. I want you to be better than me. I'm thankful, and I'm thankful for the gifts that I have. That has to be the mentality. That has to be. We can appreciate and not feel threatened by others' gifts. That's a big deal in the church. It gets rid of, it gets rid of so much of the little pettiness, the bitterness, the bicker, bickering that we do amongst each other. So let's transition now with the proper spirit. What are your gifts and how ought you use them? Um, it goes on to say this, verse five. So though we are many, we are one body in Christ. Amen. And individually members of, I'm sorry, back up to verse four. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay? And that's beautiful. There's that diversity of gifts within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this, verse 12, 18 and 20. For just as, Paul's reiterating this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he's chosen. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there are many of us, diversity of gifts and talents in one body. So verses 4 to 6, now comes your obligation. Now that we have the right spirit, do you have the right spirit now? You understand? Is there that humility? Is there that grace in you? You have to strive to be the best? No. Your obligation is to use the giftness to the glory of God and to the good of others. That's what he's saying here. We're one body. We belong to each other. We need each other, right? The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ears, I don't need you. We need each other in Christ Jesus. Here's what you need to do. You need to use your gifts. And I know there are those that do, and I'm not, again, this isn't about guilting or trying, just saying, as Christians, this is a manifestation of our regeneration. If you're really a Christian, you're going to be willing and wanting to use the gifts that God has given you to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what Paul's encouraging here. Use them willingly, generously, and continually. That, continuously. That's a hard one, isn't it? You might be willing for a while. You might be generous for a while in using your gifts and talents, but continuously, all the time, that's where we kind of run into problems. That's where we have to get back to our attitude of humility and grace. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't get hard, it doesn't get tough, and you need to help each other out in that way, but this is the spirit that you need to have in yourself. Without expectation, again, reciprocation, don't keep them to yourself and don't hide your gifts. And they're not to be hidden, even if they're special, even if what you do for a living. That's good that you do it for a living. How would you feel if you're on an airplane and there's a doctor who's going to a conference and he's working on his conference speech? He's not on duty, really. He's just working, but there's a medical emergency in the aisle and somebody's down and, hey, we need a doctor. What's a doctor? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not going to do, I'm not on duty right now. I'm not going to do this. See, that's the mentality. We, we, we say that's crazy. 
Because if you're a doctor, you're going to help. Well, if you're a Christian, you're going to use your gifts. It's the same principle involved. And you're not going to say, well, this is what I do for a living, and you're going to, you know. That's part of the giftedness that you have. Part of the obligation you have towards your people. Now, it doesn't mean if you have a business or whatever and you're working for another Christian that you're not going to get paid for them. That's not what I'm saying. We're saying you need to use your gifts generously to the good of the body of Christ Jesus. So what are my gifts? What are your gifts? Well, people ask that all the time. I'm just not gifted. I don't know my gifts. Look, man, what comes naturally to you? What do you do? I talk to people all the time. I can hear that they're singing. They're musically inclined. Or they do wonderful with hospitality. Or they're very compassionate people. Or they say, you know, I don't know what my gift is. You are so hospitable. You 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 bring people into your house and they feel like it's your home. Oh, yeah, well, that's just what I do. Uh, of course, that's just what you do. That's your gift. That's hospitality. Work on that gift. Do that. If you need encouragement, seek it from others. Ask. Ask your elders. Ask others in the church. Where do you see my gifts lie? Because I know that I have them and I know that I need to use them. They are varied and they are proportioned. We're encouraged to use them to the extent and the ability that God's given to us. And I see that happening. As I look around here in my congregation, in our congregation, I see truly gifted. Oh, up and down. I, we have teachers in this congregation. You are so gifted at teaching. You take this word and you relate it in a way that's understandable and people are grasping. And you've been doing it for years. I ha- we have gifted teachers. You're using that gift. Again, we mentioned praying. It's just some of you, you're just prayer warriors, you're just gifted in that. God's giving you that. Some of you just have a presence about you. You might be very quiet. But without you being there, just your presence is such a comfort that that's a gift, right? It doesn't feel the same if that particular person isn't there. Counsel, giving counsel. Your intelligence. Some of you guys are so smart. Man, what a blessing. <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're you, you have that analytical mind and you put things together. See, we need that in, in the church. Others have just great wisdom and discernment. Just able to discern. You can see the truth through the, through the lies and, and you bring that to the congregation. We need that. Generosity. Some of you guys are just so generous. It just flows from you. And it's not a matter of like you having so much and giving. It's just, you just have a generous spirit. You give your time, your talent, your gifts, your possessions. You just willingly do that and that, and that helps. You model humility. We have people that just like to support people, right? You just come alongside your helpers and your servants, and you're always there to help out when somebody needs something moved or whatever. You're there. See, we have these gifts and talents among us in this congregation, and we're using them, and we're encouraged to use them more and more. That's how we build our fellowship. Singing, what talent is there? What a talent, what a gift. Administrative, financial, trades, contracting to carpentry. Parenting. See, some of you parents, especially some of you moms, are just so amazing with your children. What a gift that is. You can help other moms along the way. Right? Hospitality. You're open your homes. You make it so natural. Like I mentioned before, you put things together amazingly. And you don't see. It's just, oh, it's just what I do. It's just what you do. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know how amazing that is? Encouragement. You just have that gift of encouragement. You come alongside and you're able to say those words that just build people up when they're down. We have those gifts and talents. I know you guys. I always say, I wish you knew each other as much as, as well as I know you and your giftedness. And we're doing that. We're getting to know each other in that way. We have those gifts. But you have an obligation an obligation and a duty to use them faithfully, freely, 
joyfully and generously. Why? That's part of what God made you for. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians. That's what he's made us for. That's how we function. That's how we prosper. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. It's at the heart of our fellowship. It's at the heart of growing. All these things, our gifts coming together, taking our eyes off of ourselves. Okay, now there's a warning and a clarification. Let me make that as we come towards the end. What you want to do with your gifts is trying to stay in your lane. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Don't, sometimes you have to do things that you're not particularly gifted at, you're not necessarily meant to do, but you have to do them out of necessity, or you may feel like you want to do something different in that way. Be careful about that. You want to try to stay in your lane as much as you can, because if you're doing something which you're not particularly gifted at, obviously, one of the results, it's not going to work too well. You know, like if you're really good at hospitality, but you're not a, a great singer, you're not going to want to come up and join. You might want to join the band or join the, the choir, right? But you're not gifted in that way. So the elders are going to say, wait a minute, you might want to stay in your lane. And there's something to that, right? There's Don't don't be so envious like, well, I'm gifted here, but I really feel like I want to do that over there. That ends in frustration or there's nobody else who's going to do it, so I guess I have to do it. That always ends in frustration. That always ends in discouragement. That always makes things more difficult. So please, just be mindful of that. Stay in your lane as much as possible. Now, having said that, if you're not gifted in a particular area, it doesn't absolve you from all responsibilities in that other area. You might not be a gifted singer, but when you're here, you better sing out unto the Lord because you're singing unto Him. Understand? You're singing from your heart. That's what you need to do. You might not be great at hospitality, but that doesn't say, well, I'm not good at hospitality, so I'm not going to open my home at all. That gives me the excuse not to open my home. I might not be the greatest at it, but there's going to be times when I'm going to have people over and I'm going to do the best that I can. We're still Christians. We're still called to stretch in that way. You might not be generous by nature, but that doesn't give you the excuse for being stingy or greedy. Well, I'm just not a generous person. I'm t- well, you got to work on that a little bit. I know we have people that are very generous and they just give. You, if you're not, you have to work on that. You understand? Now, it's not going to be your particular area of giftedness per se, but it doesn't absolve you from our obligations towards one another in these areas. Is that understood? Do you get that? I hope you understand that. But where where God has given you gifts, where they lie, the mandate is very clear. And this is the mandate. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and get them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. For the world, it's like this. It's always me first. We're living in a me first world. What about me? My feelings, my situation, my life. Me, 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 me. Then it might be you. Well, I'll be nice to my neighbor. You know, it's me first, then my neighbor, and then God or spirituality or whatever. That's the unbelieving mindset. Me, others, some type of spirituality. The evangelical or the popular evangelical mindset is God first. Of course, we're going to put God first, but then I'm going to slip me next. You know, my needs, what I need, and then others. You know, I'm making sure I'm okay, and then I'm going to maybe help others. So it's God, me, others. The biblical pattern is God, others, me. That's what we've been talking about all day. You have to have that in your mindset. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter the hardships that you're living on. There's no... And this is a, this is really hard. I want you to hear this. There is no, well, I have to work on me first, then I'll use my gifts. If that's the case, then you're never going to use your gifts. Or very rarely will you use your gifts, right? Because you're always going to have something with you. Do you understand that? 
In the midst of your pain, you minister with your gifts. It builds you up when you're ministering that way. And it means so much more to the others that you're ministering to, especially when they know that you come from a place of pain. Have many of you heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of his generation? Do you know Spurgeon? Do you know what Spurgeon's life was like? It was a living hell. Spurgeon was severely, severely depressed that he couldn't even get out of bed many days. He couldn't. He was so depressed. And he had so many physical ailments that he was always battling something. You could read about this. This is true. But he always came and he preached. And he preached. And he used his gift in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his struggle. If he would have said, well, I need to work on me first before I could do this, we never would have had Spurgeon. All the sermons that we've profited from, all the writings that we have, thousands and thousands of pastors have have prospered, millions of Christians have prospered from Spurgeon's works. Why? Because he ministered in the midst of his pain. That's where our mentality needs to be. Okay, It has to be that. God uses that. Well, when I'm less busy, when are you going to be less busy? When there's a more stable situation. No, 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 no. Here, Paul's saying there's no caveats like that. And Paul doesn't say, well, when, when things work out in your life, then you go use your gifts and talents for the building up the church. When things aren't so busy in your life, then you go and use your talents and gifts for the church. Listen, and this is, this is what I want you to understand most of all. I'm not laying a guilt trip. I keep saying that. I don't want you to. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by this. Because when you minister out of the midst of your pain and out of the midst of your trouble and out of the midst of your sorrow and you're willing to use your gifts at that point, that's a, that's a deeper level of fellowship. That's a deeper layer of, 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 of that love of Christ that comes through. It's so significant. It's easy to minister when everything's good for us and we're in a good place, okay. And that's fine and that's good. But when you're doing it from a place of hurting and pain, I could tell you that because I know people in my life that are personally ministering to us out of the midst of their pain. And you know how much joyful, you know how much joy that brings? You know, okay, let me give you an example. One example from scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, and then we'll be, when we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a beautiful example of what I'm talking about. Ministering giving and using your gifts and talents out of that place of pain and sorrow and difficulty. First of all, get your eyes off yourself. Not that you ignore your problems, but it gets your eyes off yourself onto Christ and others. And it brings a great level of, a deep level of fellowship. So Second Corinthians. Oh, I'm looking for it. <laughs> it's up there. Paul says this. Now listen, there was a famine in Jerusalem. So there were Christians that these people that Paul's writing to never met, never saw. It'd be like us hearing about Christians in Africa, right? That we've never met, that we've never seen, that we, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there was a famine there and they were starving to death. They were starving to death. It was a big, big deal. And they needed funds to get food so they could purchase, so they could have food for those congregations to eat and to live. Again, think with our Western minds, it doesn't even register for us, but that was the case. So there was these churches in Macedonia. Now, the, the Corinthian church was a wealthy church. They had a lot of resources. They had a lot of supplies. They could give very easily from their abundance to help with the famine. But there were churches in Macedonia that they were poor churches. They barely had enough for themselves. 
And here's the attitude. And this is, this is what I mean when I'm talking about. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among us, among the churches in Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, they were being afflicted. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It didn't matter. They were being, there was hard times there and they didn't have much, but they, in that, in the midst of that, they wanted to give. They wanted to give more than they could give to those other churches in Jerusalem, which means that they would suffer more. They would be sacrificing more. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. They went above and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul's saying, I don't expect anything from you guys. You're small churches. You don't, you're in pain yourself. And they're saying, no, we're begging you. We want to help you out of our poverty. Do you see that? That means so much. There's a level of depth of fellowship that you can't get in other ways. So it's it's a wonderful thing. Don't hold your gifts back, even in the midst of the difficulties, pain, so because it is spiritually therapeutic. When you're using your gifts, to, uh, to there's joy in that, and you do. The Lord gives you that feeling of, instead of just saying, "Oh, woe is me. I need this. I need that." And and we're like that. I'm like that. We're you know we have to stop that. Say, wait a minute. In the midst of this, we're gonna we're gonna give. I got this talent. I'm gonna give it to the church. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold on to it or wait for a specific time. So in conclusion, because he says, we are members of one another, members of one another. We owe each other. Be resolved to be biblical in your own mind. God has gifted you. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you skills. Ask him how you can humbly apply them to the body of Christ. When you do that, there will be tangible benefits within the church. Deep, authentic relationship, as it ought to be in the household of God. What's stopping you? What's holding you back? And I know we're, we're in so many ways, we're using our gifts. But I still want to ask you, what are you doing now? And what's holding you back from using your gifts to the full extent that God's given to you?